Sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Anne Lamont once said, Hope begins in the dark, the stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do the right thing, the dawn will come. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Julie, sitting in for Jonathan, who could not be with us today, and this podcast centers on godly values, sorry, godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts by way of email or messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com or Facebook or our website chat board. So, Julie, what is our topic for today? This is a really important topic in today's world, and the question is, do Christians need hope in their lives? And our theme text is Romans twelve twelve, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Okay, so it's about hope today, and folks, we just wanted to let you know, Jonathan is not able to be with us today because his dad passed away last night. And uh, for those of you who are regular listeners, you know that Jonathan and Jewel have been taking care of his dad and mom in their later years for quite some time now. And uh, we're really on vigil for a very uh, several days before his dad passed. And so we want to give our heartfelt uh, condolences to the Jonathan and Jewel's family and assure them of our prayers. But this is a podcast on hope. And uh, I, I talked to Jonathan today, and the hope of the kingdom is ripe in that man's heart and mind, and that's what it comes down to. And folks, look, everyone needs hope. With a clear hope, we can conquer all kinds of obstacles. Without it, we lose our motivation to continue on. The problem is that life moves fast, so fast that we rarely slow down enough to realize what is or should be driving us. This means that we rarely ever drink in the inspiration that our hope can readily supply. In other words, we often go through our daily routine feeling thirsty instead of refreshed. So how do we reverse that trend? Coming up in today's podcast, talking about hope. Did you ever play the lottery and hope to win big? Did you ever get up in the morning and just hope that project you so dislike would just go away? Did you ever hope to get into better shape but not change your diet or exercise habits? Look, let's face it. We all entertain these kinds of wild ideas, calling them hopes, when in reality, they're just our imagination. The first thing we need to do is grow out of our insistence that wishes are hopes. They're not. In the second and third segments, we're going to begin to unravel four simple steps that will, if they're followed, help us identify true and potentially life-changing hope. What would you do if you could lock onto a hope that is real, big, exciting, and believable? In segments four and five, we're going to look at what it takes to recognize, accept, and act when such a hope is set before us, and the transformation is thrilling. But Rick, we first need to define what our hope is, how well we truly understand and commit to it, and how far it reaches into our present and our future. This can only be done by examining what the Bible describes our hope to be. 
And once we as Christians establish this hope as personally obvious, it can then also become publicly observable. So for it to be publicly observable, it has to be personally obvious first. So let's begin, Julie, then, with what hope is and what hope is not. Hope, what does it literally mean and what does it mean biblically? Well, hope means a desire accompanied by the expectation of or the belief in its fulfillment. And the Bible, there's a there's a primary word for hope in the Bible, and it's got some derivatives. But basically, hope in the Bible means expectation or confidence. And see, the thing about hope in the Bible is it carries expectation. And, and that's what hope literally means, desired accompanied by expectation, a belief in its fulfillment. So a hope has got, has got something to stand on. Hebrews 11.1 1 is a very uh, famous scripture on faith and hope. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And it's really talking about faith. What is faith? It is the grounding of the things that we hope for. It's, it's the reasoning behind it. So faith is reasoning. And we're going to get to that in, in, in a much bigger way uh, as we develop this, this whole idea. But, but Julie, the thing is, and we were talking before this podcast got started, a hope is not a wish, is it? Well, you know, a wish is more you have a desire for something, but you don't really have the um, evidence that it will ever become obtainable. And or it's it's something you have a desire for, but that's kind of doesn't go very far. Yeah. And, you know, and a wish, you know, I wish I could do that over. Well, you can't. So stop wishing for it and get on with your life. Right. Right. So a wish then is not tangible and a hope is. Now, what does that all that mean? We're going to have to put that out and and really clearly define it as we go. All right. Well, you know, one of the one of the things that why this podcast is so important is we've recently had several listeners that have reached out to us with truly heartbreaking stories. Um, several have lost their spouses, others have had significant other traumas, and we wanted to give them encouragement and hope. And we look around, and we know suicide rates are up. And mental illness is rampant, and it's, it seems like the world's falling apart, and people really need something that's bigger than themselves. Um, but one of the questions that I had that I was hoping that, <laughs> get it, hoping, yes, I that <laughs> throughout the program, what is the Christian allowed to hope for? You know, I, I recently had surgery to repair cartilage in my hip. Is it okay that I hope that the surgeon did a good job? Can I hope not to have pain when I walk? You know, last week, you and Jonathan did an amazing program, episode 1066, called Do I Seek God's Protection or His Permission? So in our hopes, we don't want to cross what God's will is for us. So, you know, we've got all these, 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 these horrible stories of these people that need hope. What are they allowed to hope for? You know, and, and that's, a, that's a really important question that we will develop throughout the podcast. But w- the basis for the answer to the question is, remember that hope has a substantive, substantive format that, that brings it someplace. Hope weighs something. It's not, it's not like a feather that's just going to kind of float. That's a wish. Wish is like a feather that kind of floats into and out of your life. A hope has got weight to it. It's got substance to it. So the things that we should hope for should follow that pattern, have some kind of substance. So let's start 
Okay, and I know I didn't answer the question yet, but you know mm-hmm. that's that's the beginning. Let's start with hopelessness, and we're going to call this the hopelessness of hedonism. And you know, we're going to begin uh, being truthful about what humans seek and what they find. So, first of all, Ju- Julie, what is hedonism? Well, the definition of it, according to Merriam-Webster, is the doctrine that pleasure or happiness is the sole or chief good in life. Okay. Pleasure or happiness, that's what life is about. And a lot of us put our hopes in just that. Now, the problem with that is how often do we see those who seem to have everything from talent to fame to fortune, how often do we see them crumble from within because of loneliness and desperation and depression and anxiety? This has happened throughout all of history. So hedonism, which is something that, again, it's about uh, happiness you know, and pleasure. That's where everything, that's what the meaning of life is. It ends up coming up empty much more often than not. And we need to come to grips with that at our beginning here. So, Julie, we want to use a specific example of this, uh, a very, very famous, well-known writer from the 1800s. So give us a little bit of background on him as we begin to develop the story here. Well, you know, we were we were prepping for this program here on Hope, and we ran across an article about Leo Tolstoy, Now, Tolstoy, many people have heard of because he wrote uh, famous novels, War and Peace and Anna Karenina, and he is regarded as one of the greatest authors of all time. He uh, died in 1910. Now, he believed a true Christian could find lasting happiness by following the commandment to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, rather than looking to organized religion or government for guidance. He was a very strict follower of Jesus's teachings. And because of those teachings, he was a pacifist and directly influenced, I didn't know this, Mahatma Gandhi Gandhi, and Mm -hmm. other nonviolent resistance movements, even to today. And Gandhi called Tolstoy the greatest apostle of nonviolence that the present age has produced. So we're going to drop in on him where shortly after turning 50 years old, he finds himself rich, in good health, with a wife, and 14, yikes, 14 children, (laughs) and huge literary success, but he was on the brink of suicide. He was tormented by trying to answer the question, what is the meaning of life? And he details his struggle in an autobiographical memoir called A Confession. And so we're going to be quoting from this memoir. And I was struck by his incredible honesty from 150 years ago. We can drop it in today's world And you won't even know the difference because so many are asking that same question. The human condition doesn't change no matter how many advancements in technology we have. Right. So so this, when he's 50 years old, this is long before he becomes a Christian. Uh, and this is this is actually as he is beginning to try to unravel the mysteries of life according to his own, his own observation. So our first quote from Leo Tolstoy is from this essay he wrote called A Confession. It's about his own life, and it is brutally honest. Let's listen to what he says about hopelessness. Today or tomorrow, sickness and death will come. They had come already. To those I love or to me, nothing will remain but stench and worms. Sooner or later, my affairs, whatever they may be, will be forgotten, and I shall not exist. Then why go on making any effort? How can man fail to see this? And how go on living? That is what is surprising. 
One can only live while one is intoxicated with life. As soon as one is sober, it is impossible not to see that it is all a mere fraud and a stupid fraud. That is precisely what it is. There is nothing either amusing or witty about it. It is simply cruel and stupid. Nothing but stench and worms. You know, you think about that, and he's looking at this saying, life is meaningless. I've got everything, but if I am not intoxicated with life, then there's nothing. And that is such a dramatic statement from somebody who had, when you look at his life, he had everything. He had money and fame and fortune. He was smart. He was brilliant. He was philosophical. He was well-recognized. And yet, he had nothing. So... You know, that reminds me of King Solomon, you know, in Ecclesiastes in the first chapter, which is an amazing chapter to read. He had all the wealth in the known world. And by the end of his life, he looked back and summed it up that it was all vanity. Yeah, it was all meaningless. Yeah. And and it's interesting because Tolstoy in this essay references Solomon several times. So he's he's sort of identifying with him. So let's go with this this idea, this hopelessness of hedonism that Leo Tolstoy brought out in his own life. Here's the thing. God from the start showed us the simple principle of always honoring him, God, first. Let's go to Romans 1, 21 to 25. Let's do 21 to 23 to get started. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So humanity back in the apostles' time was going down that road that Tolstoy himself was describing, that hedonistic road of creating the gods and not worshiping the God. And so God allows this to happen, verses 24 and 25. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And so you see that the apostle sums it up saying they're getting what they sought after. They're getting this self-aggrandizement and they're, they're going to end up empty. In our earthly wisdom, we build our idols, which look and feel so right to us. But the question we have to ask ourselves is these idols that we put our hope in, how do they sustain us? What do they do for us in the long term to give us a higher, better, stronger, more fulfilling, more contented life? You know, go ahead. One of the things that I was wondering is, can immediate gratification be an idol? Because that is our world today. And I think we do, we set up our entire lives right now so that we can have immediate gratification. Yeah. And we're miserable if we don't have it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just wondering if that might not be our most important thing, our idol. I, I think it is. I, I really do because everything is immediate. And when something's not, we get flustered and we get depressed. And, and then mad. We, yeah, yeah. So we have to, we have to, to see things differently. Now, look, pr- prophetically, you see what happened in Romans back in the, in the, in the, Apostles Paul, in the Apostle Paul's time. But prophetically, the scriptures tell us it was going to get worse as time went on. And you look at where we are and where they were, and it, this, this prophecy is scary true. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, 
lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they denied its power. Avoid men such as these. And you look at our life, we could spend an entire podcast taking that verse apart and just applying it to what we see around us today. Folks, we are definitely wallowing in the hopelessness of hedonism, the hopelessness of seeking pleasure and happiness as our hope for our lives. It ends up empty. It has in the past, it is in the present, and will continue in the future. So what we've got to get to is our, a life-changing hope. And, and Julie, to start off, what's, our, what's our, our life-changing hope focus for this segment? Well, my life-changing hope will not be found in the service of and spoiling of myself. If you want hope that will actually change your life, decide it's not going to be found in the service of yourself. Okay, that's really what we've got to be focusing on. So, you know, when you think about it, wow, all of this really ends up as a wake up call with an added serious sense of urgency. <laughs> now that we're sufficiently depressed, <laughs> what do we do and where do we look to lift our hopes? Have you seen our CQ Kids videos? They're short, animated, and fun stories that use the Bible to answer actual kid questions. Subjects range from Jesus to prayer and thankfulness to the hard stuff like Satan and dying. They're perfect for starting a Bible discussion at home or a short story before bedtime. They're also an entertaining way to begin a Sunday school lesson. Watch all the inspirational CQ Kids videos. Go to ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, what's next, Rick? One of the most powerful things about true hope is realizing that it's rare and needs to be sought out. By concluding that the earthly and enticing ways of our world often replace hope with a sense of helplessness and apathy, we're giving ourselves permission to look elsewhere. We need permission to look higher. And folks, we have uh, Julie in uh, with us today for today's podcast. Jonathan was unable to be with us. His father uh, passed away last night, and so they've got a lot on their plate for Jonathan and Jewel. Julie, uh, again, thanks for being with us. And let's get started with this, this idea of something higher. Well, you know, over the next few segments, we're going to go ahead and talk about steps that we have to life-changing hope. And I think that the key is to arm yourself with these four steps before things fall apart. Because when you're in the middle of a crisis, you're not thinking right, you're not sleeping enough, your emotions are way out of balance and you're in a fight or flight mode. It's kind of like making preparations before a big storm. You don't need the flashlight and the wind up radio right now, but you will, so get it ready. So we wanna anchor ourselves steady so that the waves won't wipe us out. And so the scriptures that we're going to be using in this podcast will be our, let's call it a hurricane preparedness kit. Okay, so hope is actually a tool to prepare against the storms of life. That's what hope is. Hope is more than just this feeling, because I think sometimes we just reduce it to a feeling, but it is a tool 
that can actually make you more prepared for the ups and downs, the tragedies and the traumas that you're going to face. So you had mentioned there are four, four uh, steps to life-changing hope. Yeah, and, and this is this we have an intentional plan and a direction. So the first step is the hopefulness of higher thoughts. Okay, um, the hopefulness of higher thoughts. You know, it, while it's really important to, st- uh, I'm sorry, a really important step to look for something higher as you realize how empty a wanton life is, this can also be a treacherous step as well. Just finding that which is higher does not inherently bring hope. That which we find must have substance and truth. To find real, real hope, we've got to have something that has got something to it, not just a wish. Again, a hope is not a wish. It's something bigger and something far, far stronger than that. And, and a hope gives, gives you something to carry you through. So let's take a look at, just scripturally, a warning of the consequences of wrong hopes. Job chapter 8, verses 11 to 15. Can papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Can reeds flourish where there is no water? While yet in flower and not cut down, they wither before any other plant. Such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. Their confidence is gossamer, a spider's house their trust. If one leans against its house, it will not stand. If one lays hold of it, it will not endure. So, Julie, this is a scripture that doesn't sound like, you know, it's leading to anything really inspirational. You know, can papyrus go where there is no marsh? No. Okay, poor papyrus. Can reeds flourish where there is no water? No. Poor, poor reeds. Uh, you know, so, so the point is you can't have something of significance without that which is needed to feed it. That's what hope is. Hope feeds a life of significance. And if we can just begin to understand, to find real true hope, we have to look up higher. Okay, let's go back to uh, Leo Tolstoy. We, we started with his essay, A Confession, and in the first segment that we, 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 we quoted, and we're just taking little, little pieces from it, um, he, he showed his hopelessness. Even though he seemed to have everything, and everything was in order, and life was good, he was suicidal. He just was not able to get his arms around something bigger that would give him hope. So here in this next little soundbite from from Leo Tolstoy's uh, uh, essay, A Confession, he asks the big question. My question was the simplest of questions, lying in the soul of every man from the foolish child to the wisest elder. It was a question without an answer to which one cannot live, as I had found by experience. It was, what will come of what I am doing today or shall do tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Differently expressed, the question is, why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Wow, that is really profound. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy. And so Tolstoy ends up turning to both science to answer this question and then philosophy. And then he came to the conclusion that neither provided satisfactory answers. 
So he's looking, and he's looking in all of the normal places to find something to quell this emptiness that he just that he just can't get away from. There's a Jewish expression: "It is a fearful thing to love what death can touch." And I think that's what's something that's very profound to our listeners who are going through grief right now, because it is, it's, it's, it's a very scary time to love what death can touch. And that's what, that's what Tolstoy here is basically saying. Eventually it's all going to go away anyway. What's the point? Right. And so the man is really, really beside himself with this, this overwhelming depression. And, and folks, look, there's a lot of folks that have that same, those same thoughts and that, that plague them every day. And the point of this podcast is to say, pause, just wait, just listen. Let's see if we can build something of significance that can chip away at those thoughts and turn the tide. Let's go to Job eleven twenty. But the eyes of the wicked will fail. All way of escape will be lost to them. And their hope is to breathe their last. And again, you know, so far we're dealing with all of the depressing things. You know, their hope is to breathe their last. And that's really what Tolstoy was saying here. Uh, he, he just had this sense of there's just nothing worth anything anymore. So before we go to the next uh, soundbite from Tolstoy, Sto- you know, I have a hard time. Tolstoy. I, I do too. Yep, I know. Tolstoy. <laughs> you the had, author. You, you, you wanted to put it in perspective before we listen to it. Well, so I wanted to tell you a little bit about this book. So this book... A Confession is this autobiographical story of the author's struggle. He's searching for the question, the answer to the question, if God doesn't exist, since death is inevitable, what's the meaning of life? And without the answer to this, for him, life had really become impossible. So this this story begins with an Eastern fable of a dragon in the well. And a man is chased by a beast into a well. And at the bottom, there's a dragon. And the man, which is him, clings to a branch that's being gnawed on by two mice. There's one black mouse and a white mouse representing night and day and the relentless march of time. And this man is able to lick two drops of honey, and that represented his love of family and his writing. But because death is inevitable, he no longer finds the honey sweet. So Tolstoy goes on to describe four possible attitudes towards this dilemma. Okay, so he's going to describe the four attitudes, and we're going to say that his four attitudes are his perspective at this time when he is so depressed. So let's just listen to what these four attitudes are. This is a little bit of longer soundbite, and then we're going to kind of build off of that and see how to get beyond all of that, because I don't want to st- stay in the depressiveness uh, too, too long here. So let's go to the author with his four ways, four attitudes to approach life. I found that for people of my circle, there were four ways out of the terrible position in which we are all placed. The first was that of ignorance. It consists in not knowing, not understanding, that life is an evil and an absurdity. From people of this sort, I had nothing to learn. One cannot cease to know what one does know. The second way out is Epicureanism. It consists, while knowing the hopelessness of life, in making use, meanwhile, of the advantages one has disregarding the dragon and the mice, and licking the honey in the best way, especially if there is much of it within reach. The third escape is that of strength and energy. It consists in destroying life when one has understood that it is an evil and an absurdity. A few exceptionally strong and consistent people act so. 
Having understood the stupidity of the joke that has been played on them, and having understood that it is better to be dead than to be alive, and that it is best of all not to exist, they act accordingly and promptly end this stupid joke. The fourth way out is that of weakness. It consists in seeing the truth of the situation and yet clinging to life, knowing in advance that nothing can come of it. People of this kind know that death is better than life, but not having the strength to act rationally, to end the deception quickly and kill themselves, they seem to wait for something. Ugh, when do we get out of the depressing part? Yeah, well, you know, that, that's <laughs> this segment, I promise. When we're done with this segment, we're going we're gonna to start to build. But and, and here's the thing. Again, remember, this first step is hopefulness, the hopefulness of higher thoughts. He is not able to see anything higher at this point. These four things that he talks about are, are, are you know, ignorance, Epicureanism, looking at the hopelessness of life, strength and energy, which leads to, to taking your own life, which heaven's sakes, you know, or, or ignorance. There is no good way out. And when someone feels that way about life, that's really what they see. They yeah. don't see hope. And he puts himself here in this fourth category and said it was to live like Solomon did, knowing life is, is a joke played on us, but you still go on living and dressing and dining and talking. And he said, even writing books. But he said, to me, this was repulsive and tormenting, but I remained in that position. So, so he's kind of in that holding pattern. He is not different and he is not alone. Let's go back to scripture. And, and it's interesting that some of the things he talks about are just blatantly brought out in scripture from thousands of years before he wrote. Paul in Athens in Acts 17 verses 18 to 22. Let's just do 18 to 20 to start with. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with the Apostle Paul with him. Some were saying, why would this idle, what would this idle babbler wish to say? And others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are proclaiming? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. And so we want to know what these mean. So he's talking about these, these, he's in a, in a place where there's lots of philosophical thinking going on. He talks about Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. And, and Julie, just very quickly, who was he talking about? So these were two opposing Greek philosophies, and they were both developed to free people from the concerns of present life. Okay, Epicure trying to give them hope. Okay, understand. Absolutely. Okay. And the Epicureans believed that the way to happiness was through maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain. But to the purest form of this philosophy, pleasure was derived by living modestly. So it wasn't like hedonistically living, where you just do, you know, anything goes. Uh, but they believed that the gods were like men, only of a higher order. And these gods were out in space somewhere enjoying a life of quiet pleasure like the Epicureans, having nothing to do with men. And in fact, the main, the main dude on this, Epicurus, uh, he said this quite famous quote, he who is not satisfied with a little is satisfied with nothing. Hmm. I thought that was pretty profound. So Stoicism was another philosophy that Apostle Paul encountered. Now, this says you can find happiness by relying on your inner self. The path to happiness is found in accepting the moment as it presents itself. You aren't controlled any longer by a desire for pleasure or a fear of pain. Things are the way they are. They can't be changed. Accept it and move on. And that's what brings happiness. 
So these two were opposed to each other and both don't fit in with Christianity. Right. So, and, and both of them are trying to say, in a sense, look higher within the context of your life, just in a different way. Now, verses 21 and 22 just kind of give us a sense of, of what happens with this. Now, all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, 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 it's, it's a really hard one, Areopagus, and said, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. So what he does is he begins to witness God's truth to them by drawing them in by saying, I can see that you are working on things and you're very dedicated to your beliefs and I have great respect for that. So he widely builds upon their search for hope in their different ways to show them something new that is that so show them something new that is true and actually worthy of hope. And folks, that's the key. Our hope should be built on something that is worthy of it. So as we get ready to to begin to develop that, even within Christianity, it's told to us that some would have access to the hope of truth, but ignore it. Because it's, you know, you can say, well, okay, well, okay, I'll believe in the Bible, and that's great. Well, yeah, but First Timothy, uh, Second Timothy, I'm sorry, 3, verses 6 to 8, gives us a sense that you got to be, it's even got to be more, more, more focused than that. For some of them, for, sorry, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. So always learning and never able come to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's a hint about the kinds of things that we need to be on the alert for when we're looking for real hope. We want to be able to somehow come to a knowledge of the truth and not just always seeking after knowledge in general. Um, you know, Julie, we got we to condense a little bit of time here. So simply looking, simply looking up is good, but it's really not enough. We need to look with humility and with reverence and with godliness. So what we did is we looked for a psalm that would help to depict the pathway here. Psalm 121 walks us through the four steps that we're talking about to life-changing hope. And remember, the first step is the hopefulness of higher thoughts. And everybody can find this step. Psalm 121 verse 1 gives us the step in a very, very plain and straightforward way. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? Looking up higher. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. That's where my help will come from, somewhere higher than where I am. You know, I need to find something higher. Hope is built on something higher than us. We need to get that clearly in our minds. Life-changing hope thought as we wrap up this segment. My life-changing hope has its roots in finding something bigger and more significant than me. It's really simple. Bigger and more significant than me. This is common. Many people do look to bigger things to find hope and purpose, but it can be confusing. Finding real and lasting hope for our lives can be a challenge. How will we know it when we see it? 
Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. Complete hope, like anything of lasting value, looks and feels different than other things that might bring us some or temporary hope. Complete hope, by definition, carries us through the present, has a positive effect on others, and lasts into the future. There are few places that ever offer such hope. And so now we want to look at the idea of looking up, the, the hopefulness of higher thoughts, but we want to go further than that. So of these four steps to life-changing hope, the first one, Julie, was the hopefulness of higher thoughts. What's the second step built upon that? Well, we've looked up. Now let's look down. Step two, the firm foundation of faith. We need a firm foundation. Okay, so faith has to be built on something. Hopefulness of higher thoughts can open the door to faith. Once the plan of God begins to be understood— Faith can become a foundation upon which true and unrelenting hope can be built. You know, and, and, and think about that phrase for a second. True and unrelenting hope. How many times in our lives do we have unrelenting uh, angst or anxiety or depression or those things that just don't go away? What about finding a hope that is unrelenting? That is so firm, so strong, so powerful that it never goes away. That's what we want to get to. That's what this formula is about, how to build toward an unrelenting hope and what we can do to get there. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So the hope, you know, and now this is talking about this, this incredible, powerful hope that God gave to humanity through Jesus. And it says this hope we have as an anchor of the soul a hope both sure and steadfast. And, and Julie, when you think about the, uh, the, the, the experiences of, of Tolstoy that we've been talking about, this is what he was missing. Yeah, he was missing that firm anchor. And you know, the context of this is about the promise of the covenant that God gave to Abraham. He gave it three times in Genesis, and then he gave it again to Isaac and again to Jacob, and it was... The in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so in this hope, we have confidence that in God's due time, that promise, that covenant will be absolutely and literally fulfilled, where all the families of the earth will be blessed. And it was, again, through the lineage of Abraham, because of Jesus's ransom, that's where we are building our primary hope. So you have this promise that's repeated again and again and again and again and again to different generations to make sure nobody forgets it. 
And then you have Jesus come along and accomplish this mission. And this is where our hope is founded. This is the foundation of faith. Okay, so you have to have something really solid to stand on. Hope, again, can't be like feathers. Okay, feathers are soft and they float and they're all nice and pretty, but you can't stand on them. They're not going to hold you up. Hope has got to be that substrate of concrete, solid, uh, solid something to believe in and to hold on to. And that is what this is talking about, the promise of Jesus and what he brought through that promise to Abraham. Let's go back to Tolstoy again, okay? Now, he's frustrated, okay? He's still frustrated, uh, but he's now beginning to say, you know, uh, you know, there's another, there's something else here that, that's coming into play, and it, and it creates a contradiction in his mind. Let's listen. Rational knowledge presented by the learned and wise denies the meaning of life, but the enormous masses of men, the whole of mankind, receive that meaning in irrational knowledge. And that irrational knowledge is faith, that very thing which I could not but reject. It is God. By faith it appears that in order to understand the meaning of life, I must renounce my reason, the very thing for which alone a meaning is required. A contradiction arose from which there were two exits. Either that which I called reason was not so rational as I supposed, or that which seemed to me irrational was not so irrational as I supposed. So, Ricky's now at a point where he's considering that faith might seem irrational, but that it is necessary in order for it to have hope and to move on. So, he's taking this thing that he has always shoved aside because it looked irrational to him. And he's saying, well, wait a minute. Maybe I should be looking at this because these other things obviously are not filling the gaps. They're not filling the voids in my life. And I am still no less frustrated and, 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 and depressed than I was before. So maybe I need to look at something that I've always considered to be irrational. And he does call faith irrational. Now, I would challenge that, but we won't do that at this moment. Okay? So he is finding that he needs to look elsewhere. And, and this is a profoundly honest approach to a really difficult life situation that many of us can relate to. So our hope is based on God's actions. Jesus was raised so we can therefore look forward in hope. And we can get we get this from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 16 to 19. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we had hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. So really the apostles saying that um, if Jesus isn't raised, then the whole Christian faith is worthless. And he's right. He's right because it's based on that event. Now, the, remember, the apostle Paul through through the uh, on the road to uh, he was on the road to uh, Damascus I think remember when he was blinded Jesus came to him in a vision and said you know why why are you persecuting me so he had a sense of the risen lord Jesus because Jesus spoke to him he knew it for sure right right he had the factual event in his life that he is relying upon and he's assuring those of us who didn't see it this is real this is absolutely real foundation of faith. It has to be firm. It has to be clear. Now, not only does this provide Jesus' followers hope, this also, and this is huge, 
this also opens the hope door for everybody else. Because the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is not just about his followers. We get that from several scriptures. We're going to go through several of them now. And Julie, you asked earlier, what are we allowed to hope for? Okay, Not only as followers of Christ, but what about people who aren't followers of Christ, who aren't the the dedicated footstep followers of Jesus? Can they still hope in what we're talking about? And the answer is yes, they can. Let's look at these verses. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. You know, when it says God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, that's not just a statement of God is, you know, he's got these, this wish list. And on God's wish list, he just wishes somehow all men could be saved. That's not God. God is firm. God is clear. And we talked earlier that when he says something, it happens. So when it says God's desire is all men to be saved, what he's saying is his son Jesus gave himself a ransom so all men could be saved, regardless of who you are and where you come from and what you believe. But, you know, did you notice, I think this is really important, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, you would think that it would have said, who desires all men to come to the knowledge of the truth so that they could be saved. Right. But it's the opposite. So what's happening is there's a plan in place. The ransom has been put in place and all men will be saved. And then in the resurrection, in God's kingdom, they will finally be able to learn what is truth and learn about God and walk in righteousness. And that's what the day of judgment truly and really is about. All of the, all of the stuff out there about the day of judgment and all this, 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 this horrible things going on, that's not what the day of judgment is about. You need to, to understand the clarity of it, that the raising of man from the dead gives him the ability to come to the knowledge of the truth. And you don't have real hope until you know it and you feel it. And that's where we're going to be going next. Uh, as as we develop this. But just a couple more scriptures on the fact that this hope of being raised, of coming to a knowledge of God's truth, is for every human being. Romans 8, 20-22. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also would be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. See, I think, go ahead, I'm sorry. You, you. Well, the it. phrase, but because of him who subjected it, the creation was subjected to futility. It sounds like it's saying because God put it that way. But it's really by reason of Adam's sin, God allowed this permission of evil for a time. And he says in hope. God allowed sin to happen because there's hope. And what he says is the hope is that the creation itself will also be set free from the slavery of all of these things. So he's saying there's a hope. And when God says there's a hope, it is the most solid proclamation you could find anywhere. Any written word, anything that you see anywhere cannot be more solid than God telling us there is hope. So for people that are going through excruciating times right now and going through trauma, yes. 
what can they put their hope in? They're putting their hope in that it may not all go well in this world, but God bigger, think bigger, think higher, get on that foundation. God has a plan and we guarantee it will work out. Yes. Yeah. And so if things are tragic now, you've lost a loved one and you are now just, just in the grief of the loss and there's hopelessness be assured that whether that lo- and, and look and I know folks this is contrary to a lot of uh, what a lot, a lot of christian churches teach but frankly this is what the scriptures say if you are if you are in that grief no matter what that person believed they have the opportunity for resurrection why because jesus died see jesus died for adam's sin adam's sin affected every human being therefore jesus death also affected every human being that's what justice is. So people in those difficult situations, even if they don't work out now, there still is hope. There's hope in the future because God's plan put it that way. The magnitude of this hope for the world seems unnoticed by most, but the scriptures are really plain. Well, another very plain scripture, 1 Timothy 4.10. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. And see, and Julie, there's that two-part plan that you were talking about earlier. The Savior of all men, but especially of believers. So how can you be especially saved? Because the believers are saved first, and the believers are given a heavenly reward. There's a difference in their pathway, but he's still the Savior of all men. That means everybody. And don't cut the word short. That's what it says. Don't limit the hope that the scriptures give us. One more scripture on this, 1 John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Oh, here's another two-parter. Propitiation for ours and for those of the whole world. Right, right. Propitiation is a big word, Rick. What's it mean? (laughs) The propitiation means the satisfaction. He's the satisfying effect. So he is the satisfaction for our sins, those who follow after Christ, and not just for ours, but also for those of the whole world. So there are two parts to the salvation. That's the hope. That's the firm foundation. That's what anybody can hold on to. Anybody. And that is a beautiful thing to hold on to because it's founded not in somebody's imagination, but it's founded in the written word of God. And again, you can't get more firm than the written word of God. So, you know, to me, this gives us a sense of, okay, there's a huge foundation for our hope that we should be standing on. We need to know it. We need to understand it. Let's get back to Psalm 121. Now, remember in the first verse of Psalm 121, it talked about looking unto the mountains from whence cometh our help. Uh, So our second step is to connect our looking up to what we're looking up towards, which is the power of God. Psalm 121, verses 2 to 4. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And, and you know, there's, there's a lot of wonderful things in this verse. First of all, my help comes from the Lord. Okay, my help comes from God. My hope is in God, and because of that, my help comes from him. We're not and, and, go ahead. And why does it come from him? Because he made heaven and earth, because he is bigger than me. Right. 
Right. And, you know, we, we did that, that podcast uh, several weeks ago with David Stein about, you know, evidences in the magnificence of creation that give you a sense of this intelligent designer. God didn't just design biology and science and all of these things just for the sake of doing it. There's a plan behind it all. And the plan is to have an earthly family along with a heavenly family. That's the plan of God. So our foundation for our hope means we have to look up much higher than we are. Our life-changing hope thought for this segment. My life-changing hope begins to grow when I place its value in eternal truth. We can choose what kind of truth we want to place our hope in. And we can choose a truth that is going to satisfy us for a moment or a day or a week or a month or a year. We can choose to put our our our, our hope into a, an ideology, which is opposed to other ideologies. Or we can choose to put our hope in something that is beyond all of that, like we've been saying, something bigger, something stronger, something better. That is where you find the foundation for life-changing hope. It's really an amazing thing. It's a great relief to have something so solid to hold on to. Why does it seem like we can't just stop there? Faith is a strong foundation as a result of these powerful connections. So what do we build upon it? We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A.com. We're engaging in combo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. Now this is the next area where people often get derailed. We proclaim to have faith in God and His Son Jesus, but the only vision that comes from this is one of pearly gates and angels with wings or God bringing us lots of stuff. We get stuck between imagination and wishful thinking, but do not develop real, concrete hope. So just because you say the words, just because you, you name the name, does not mean you have that concrete foundation for hope. We have got to put it all in a better perspective. Foundation is a good place to start, but we've got to build from there. And folks, just reminding you, Julie is sitting in for Jonathan today. Uh, He is not able to be with us because his father uh, passed away last night. So, Julie, the first two steps that we talked about were the hopelessness, or the hopefulness, I'm sorry, of higher thoughts. Everybody can turn their, their, their face higher, to look for something bigger than themselves. But second, you have to be looking up to find the firm foundation of faith. What's the third step? The vibrate, the vibrancy of vision. I know you like these alliterations. But yes, so, I do. Vibrancy I, of vision. <laughs> I know. Sorry. It's, That's it's all right. just part of me. I can't get away from it. What can I tell you? <laughs> so vision having a vision that's vibrant. When you think, I see, I love that word. I love the word vibrant because it tells me I'm alive and I've, I've got energy and I've got focus and I've got drive. The vibrancy of vision with a viable faith in place. It's natural for a clear vision to begin to develop, but it's still not easy. Our spiritual vision uh, that will feed our hope must be firmly based, foundation of faith, and clearly focused. So, Julie, we've got to focus it. It's got to be clear in our minds. So, 
Our hope can only be strong when it's truly internalized, and therein we find its meaning. Next scripture, Julie, and you and I were talking about this before the podcast. I think this kind of is the centerpiece of a lot of what we're talking about in terms about making hope work in life. Ephesians 1, verses 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. So when you look at that verse, Julie, what what jumps out at you? Well, I thought the eyes of your heart, how poetic is that? And that is the New American Standard Version. The King James that people might be more familiar with says, eye of understanding, the ability to see and appreciate that which you can't physically see. But I think the eyes of your heart is so much more meaningful. Because you think about it, you know, a foundation of faith is a sense of, I get it, I see it, I'm learning it, and I'm processing it, and it's making sense. And it's really important to have things make sense to us. But the apostle here is saying, he says, I pray. So this is not just, you know, this is what I'd really like for you. He's saying, I wish, I hope, I wish. He's saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you will know what is the hope of his calling. So the eyes of your heart, so that, in other words, I pray that you will make the hope of your calling your own. It will lodge in your heart. It will be the in the core of your very being, the hope of this calling. And he's saying so that you will know it. Now, knowing sounds intellectual, but the knowing intellectually is incomplete without the knowing from the heart. So he's saying, look with your heart. We've already talked about looking with your head. But you've got to do both to really grab hold of hope. And I think that really happens as we're filled more and more with the Holy Spirit, yeah. with God's power and his influence. You know, in order, to, in order to have that hope, you really need to immerse yourself in these scriptures and immerse yourself in what God's plan is so that this hope of his calling points to something, again, bigger than us, God's ultimate plan of redemption for mankind. You've lost a spouse. You've lost a loved one. You will see them again. Jesus guaranteed it through his ransom. Yeah, you know, and, and for those of us who go through other types of trials and difficulties or, you know, you go through a really bad breakup or a divorce or, you know, you, you, you lose the job that you've worked at for so, so long or you make some really bad choices and you end up in, in a really bad situation as a result. All of these things can be put in perspective if we can take that, that foundation, that intellectual foundation, and try to bring it down into our heart. Because it's one thing to say you believe it. It's another thing to have it, the belief come out from you, from your heart. So here, we've got this, this core value of the eyes of our heart helping us to know the hope of this calling. Let's go back to Leo Tolstoy uh, in his essay, A Confession, and remember in the last quote that we heard from him, he, there was a contradiction. He's saying there's this, there's this incongruity with this faith thing that doesn't seem to be very rational, but you know, I really got to start to pay attention to it. And so now let's see where he goes as he begins to build on that. 
Faith is the strength of life. If a man lives, he believes in something. If he did not believe that one must live for something, he would not live. If he does not see and recognize the illusory nature of the finite, he believes in the finite. If he understands the illusory nature of the finite, he must believe in the infinite. Without faith, he cannot live. For man to be able to live, he must either not see the infinite, or have such an explanation of the meaning of life as will connect the finite with the infinite. So Tolstoy went on to say the following. He said, faith makes it possible to live. Faith still remained to me as irrational as it was before, but I could not but admit that it alone gives mankind a reply to the questions of life, and that consequently makes life possible. And so what he said in, in the quote that, that we had listened to is the ability to the meaning of life as will connect the finite with the infinite. And the finite and, us. Yes, right? and the infinite is God. Yeah. What can possibly connect us to God, to something so much bigger? Now, remember, God is outside of our universe. He created the universe, okay? He comes from outside of it. That's how big and, 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 and all-knowing and all-powerful he is. What connects us to him? He gives us his plan for the world of humanity through his word. That can connect us to the infinite. And that's not something that's just sort of like ethereal and you're like, ooh, this, that's not it at all. It is a powerful, concrete hope that we can really sink our teeth into because he gives us the scriptures and the reasons for all of those things to be put in place. So when you think about it, our hope is the last best hope for the world. To receive such hope, we want to emulate the attitude and obedience of the prophet Habakkuk who had, now in, in the book of Habakkuk, in chapter 1, he had just finished crying out to God about the misery and injustice of the world. And again, it sounds like today. He's standing, and he's standing before God saying, haven't you seen what's going on around here lately? Do you see how things are falling apart? Do you see how evil seems to be winning at every turn? I know you're watching. What's going on? How come you're not doing something? How come nothing's changing? What's happening here? And then he starts to pull himself together and say, okay, I've got to see what God's answer will be. And that's where we drop in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. So he says, okay, I've spoken my peace to God. Now I'm going to stand guard like I'm supposed to and I'm going to let him lecture me. <laughs> That's really what he's saying. <laughs> I'm going to let him correct me because I know God is God. Now, I've, I've, I've vented my human frustration, but I still know that God is God. And then comes the answer, verses 2 and 3. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come, and it will not delay. So the answer is, write down what you see, because I am telling you that I, God, have this in control. The vision, what you see, the final, the, the, the final goodness that I'm bringing to humanity, it's going to take a while. Though it tarries, wait for it. You know, you, you hear people say, wait for it. Wait for, well, this is wait for it over thousands of years, 
well, but put that into eternity and it's, you know, not even a blip of a blip. Right, right. And that's the point. He says, write it down so that the runner who reads it will run harder. And and the point is, the scriptures are written for us to be able to hold on to. And the commentaries that we have, there many of these commentaries are put in place so we can understand the scriptures even more fully and more clearly. And that's what we look at here. And, and truly, even if you're not a dedicated Christian, even if you're not one who has dedicated your life to the service of Jesus and to, to doing his will rather than your own, but you appreciate Christianity, this is still for you. Because the hope is that God's will will be done. You know, when Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he was saying, God's will, pray that God's will will be done on earth, because it will. Why don't you be a part of it by praying for it? Whatever, wherever your faith is, you can pray for that. You can be a part of that. You can engage in that hope. You know, and go ahead. No, you go. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it just makes great sense that the greatest hope the world has ever seen is going to take time. Because, well, anything worthwhile takes right, right. takes a long time. Yeah, you, you you can't you can't get eternal satisfaction from a momentary uh, action that doesn't happen that way. It's got to develop over time, and everything has to be exhausted exactly the right way for it to actually work. So, you know, do you have any practical advice for people in the midst of despair? And and I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one out. You know, we talked about this hurricane preparedness, things that you can do now in preparation for when maybe depression sets in. And one of the things I think works for me is uh, memorizing certain scriptures and using them almost as a mantra. And mine is Proverbs 34, 4, because it's really easy to memorize. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And when, when things are going really stressful in my life and I'm afraid of something, this is what I repeat because it's guaranteed If I seek the Lord, he will hear me and he will deliver me, not from my circumstance necessarily, but from all my fears, because I can find contentment by knowing that who he is and what his plan is. So that's my example. What what else should people do to prepare themselves for the storm? Well, you know, and and I think that's, that's that's a good principle, the idea of taking scripture and making it part of your life making it so that you, there are certain things that you can remember easily. But another thing is to rely on those who are around you, who you look at as having that greater, stronger spiritual hope, and not be afraid when you don't have it to reach out to someone who you think might. Because typically, even if, even, you know, if, if I'm having a hard time, Julie, and I come to you and I say, you know, Julie, I'm struggling with this right now, here's what happens. Whatever your struggle is in your life, when I say to you, Julie, you know, I'm looking for some, just for some input. What have you got for me? You're going to put your own stuff aside. You're going to reach down and find the strongest, best, most spiritual things that you can come up with and say, here, Rick, what about this? So when we reach across to one another in our desperation, sometimes I don't have enough hope, but if I rely on yours, then I can be carried through. So I think that's another way to put the hope in place. The more vibrant my vision, the better I am going to be able to pass that on to others. And we're going to be developing that further as we go. So reach out. Reach out to those around you who are those of, that, that you look at and say, wow, they live, they live their faith. Don't reach out to the people that say it. Reach out to the people that live it. Big difference. Big difference. 
1 Corinthians 13, 12 to 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. See, now the scripture is saying, we see in the mirror dimly, dimly. we don't know all the details now. And it's okay that we don't all the, know all the details now. It says, now I know in part. We don't know everything yet. It's okay. What matters is we are searching and digging into the word of God, which is the greatest source of the greatest hope. So we can't see the details clearly now. We're not meant to see them clearly now. Now we're meant to live through faith in God to strive toward the hope of God. And that's the key. If it's the hope of God it's eternal, it's stronger, it's bigger than us. And this can all be accomplished if we live as a body, and str- as a body, a body of Christ, if you will, and strive to adopt in our lives the love that is God. And that love, Julie, is being connected together and building one another up in the hope of this incredible faith that we have. And, and you know, again, the hope of Scripture is for everyone. The Bible overflows with the vibrant vision of hope for God's earthly creation. We touched on a few scriptures last segment. One powerful, powerful scripture from this segment uh, from uh, Revelation 21, verse 4. This is my second favorite scripture. There you go. And I repeat, um, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, nor will there be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And look where this is placed in the Bible. You know, we often say that the Bible is um, paradise lost to paradise restored. And it goes from Genesis to Revelation. And here's the end of the story. You know, you look ahead to the end of the book to see how it ends. Yeah. It ends with all of this had purpose. It had meaning. It brought us to know right from wrong. And in the end, all tears will be wiped away. No more death. No more mourning, no more crying or pain. And this is what we are all longing for. This is what the scripture says the creation groans for, for this final time. And, and this is for every human being. And, and that's the beauty of the vibrance of the vision of hope. The question is, folks, do I have the vibrance of that vision? Have I adopted that as my vision for living? That's the key. Is that what I live by? Or is that just what I sort of think about on Sunday when I go to church? Big difference. Can I just read a, I have a quick quote from Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl. Yes. He said, because either you have a belief in God, which is unconditional, which you maintain under each and every condition, or the faith is too weak and sooner or later will break down. And, you know, you and I were talking how it seems like you find these great stories of heroicism and people who have survived uh, incredible odds and it's because they didn't lose hope hope in the human being is really important to our mental health and our ability to to survive and our hope can rub off on those around us we got to and we're going to actually get into that much more in the next segment so the idea is to have it permeate your very soul. You've got to have that vision. Let's go back to Psalm 121 for our third step. Follow through on the power of God by seeing that it can apply to you. So Psalm 21, remember at the beginning, you know, the hopefulness of higher thoughts, then the firm, firm foundation of faith, seeing that your, 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 your deliverance comes from God. And now Psalm 121, 5 through 7. 
The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. That's a great picture. It's a great vision. The Lord is your keeper. He's your shade at your right hand. He is your protector. And if he's your protector, you have every reason to have every hope according to his plan. So faith has drawn us out and this vision has given us inspiration. This is a hope that really means something. Our higher hope now has a foundation of faith and focused vision. What else does it need? Talk to us during our live Monday night podcast from 8 to 9.30 every week. If you're listening through our app, just hit the message button. If you're on ChristianQuestions.com, click on chat at the bottom of your screen. As our discussion continues, it is inevitable when we start to answer questions that more questions appear. Let's see how this expands. Hope can transform our lives, but it cannot accomplish that by itself. It needs to be absorbed into our minds, and it needs to find commitment in our hearts. Whenever anyone has their heart and mind convicted in this way, their ability to act can be engaged, which gives them the power of purpose. And really, that's what we need to to, to, uh, wrap this up with. But Julie, I forgot just the thought at the end of the last segment. Uh, Oops, (laughs) the life-changing hope thought. What is it? My life-changing hope begins to thrive when I embrace all that it promises. Got to embrace what the hope is giving us. Don't be embracing other things. It's embracing what the hope gives us to be able to really, really get that vision working in our lives. So we've got the hopefulness of higher thoughts, the, the idea that everybody can look up. We want to look up to find the place where we can build a firm foundation of faith, The third step was the vibrancy of the vision that comes from that faith. And what's the fourth step to life-changing hope? Here comes another alliteration, the power of purpose. Okay. A vibrant vibrant vision unleashes the unstoppable power of purpose. I love it. I do love it. I do. (laughs) And and, and, you know what? Things like this, though, you know, the power of purpose, that's something that has been incredibly important to me in my everyday life. And by attempting to live with a higher purpose, life takes on an entirely different level of meaning. And there is something very special about having that higher purpose that's founded in the eternal hope that God gives us. So once our heart is set in the right place, you know, we've got the, the vision now, and we've, we've seen it with the eyes of our heart, and we've got the vision now let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Now the, the heart has got it, okay? And now what happens? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The sense of purpose that Jesus gave us is, is the, an incredible example because he died for those who persecuted and killed him. And he didn't say, you're not included. He died for them just like he died for his followers. And if you can't get the power of purpose out of that example, then you're not looking hard enough. 
And can you imagine what it's like, the right hand of the throne of God? I no. mean, think about that for just a second. It, it's 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 obviously impossible to our minds, but wow, what must that be like? Yeah, yeah. And and, and so the the point here is for our hope to be absolutely clear. You've got to look up. You've got to establish the foundation of faith. You have to have that vision. But now it has to be more than just, okay, I see it and I feel it. Now I have to do something with it. I have to live it every day. How do I do that? And, and Julie, this segment, hopefully, 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 <laughs> is going to really clearly dig down to what a life that has this hope should look like. That's what we want to get to. So let's go to our friend Leo Tolstoy, who started out completely depressing everybody by talking about his desire to end his own life, but the, 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 the cowardice that he couldn't do it. And then he comes to this, this, this point in his life where he's saying, well, wait, there's these contradictions that don't make sense, and there's this faith thing that, seems to be, that doesn't seem to be rational, but yet it seems to be the only way. And so now he's coming around and beginning to understand that what seemed completely irrational ends up being the source of his greatest hope. Let's listen. In contrast with what I had seen in our circle, where the whole of life is passed in idleness, amusement, and dissatisfaction, I saw that the whole life of these people was passed in heavy labor and that they were content with life. In contradistinction to us, who, the wiser we are, the less we understand the meaning of life, and see some evil irony in the fact that we suffer and die, these folk live and suffer, and they approach death and suffering with tranquility, and in most cases, gladly. In complete contrast to my ignorance, they knew the meaning of life and death, labored quietly, endured deprivations and sufferings, and lived and died seeing therein not vanity, but good. I understood that if I wished to understand life and its meaning, I must not live the life of a parasite, but must live a real life, and taking the meaning given to live by real humanity and merging myself in that life, verify it. I can't live the life of a parasite. So he's summing up his previous approach as the life of a parasite, sort of living off of other things rather than living that life of contributing to the things around you, of being able to accept the things around you because you have this sense of the infinite, which to many people just makes no sense at all. And it's really kind of interesting that in the world in which we live in today, the infinite God is laughed at. And, you know, you know it, 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 the, the thought of believing is God, it, 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 you're, you're met with derision. You're, you're looked upon like, oh, you foolish soul. You know, you know, just grow up. You must be a hater while you, when you're believing in God because blah, blah, blah. And, and it just misses the entire point of a universe that was created for a purpose. And we're given that purpose for humanity in that book that we call the Bible. Well, I think that part of what, what we want to get across is once we get to this point, we can be hope bearers for yeah. others. Yeah. You know, we can learn to carry hope and hand it out freely to others because hope should really flow through us and from us. You know, instead of 
I was thinking instead of the fountain of life, we've discovered the fountain of hope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're not looking to grow younger. We're looking to grow wiser. Right. We're, and, and we're looking to not only grow more hopeful, but we're looking to give that hope to others. It doesn't even have to be in words. It, it comes through the way you carry yourself. So, so let's go to Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, because it's really talking about living that hopeful life. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Okay, so there's a lot of pieces in those verses. Let's kind of break it down, okay? First of all, the role uh, that hope plays in this text in verses 1 and 2. What, what for, First point. Well, it talked about having been justified by faith. So being justified by faith brings us peace with God through Jesus. Okay, so that justification by faith brings us peace with God. And that's What does Rick, justification by faith mean? It means you're made right in the sight of God through faith in his son. And God accepts that. When God accepts that, that we are believing in his son and the ransom and gives us his spirit, we're made right in his sight. And that is and that's the foundation of faith. And, and now, obviously, we're talking about for, for, for true Christians here, but that's the foundation of faith there. The next point that that brings us to is peace with God brings us access to God's grace. Because we're, we were considered sons, right, because we're sons of God, now we have that peace, and now we can approach the heavenly throne because of God's grace. Right. And now, look, okay. for, for somebody who is not a footstep follower of Jesus, are we saying, well, you shouldn't pray? No, that's not what we're saying at all. The degree to which we live our lives in accordance with the will of God is the degree to which God, I believe, will answer our prayers and have his providence in our lives. So if you are just trying to figure that out, it means God wants to hear from you. And he will give you the pieces to help you along that way. But the further you go, the more his providence will override and the more you have his grace working in your life. Okay, what, what's the next, the next point here? Well, God's grace brings us the opportunity to exalt the hope of God's glory. Okay, and that is the vibrant vision. So we've got the foundation of faith and the vibrant vision because the opportunity to exalt the hope of God's glory is right there. Do you see it? Is it something you can, that can become tangible? So now that we've got the, the foundation of faith and that vibrant vi vision, let's get to the practical aspects that were in verses 3 to 5. First point, go ahead. Well, because of these spiritual promises, we know that tribulation brings perseverance. Okay. That is an important, important aspect of this. That's really hard. It it's is. It's really hard to take your trials and your tribulations and your sorrow and your tears and realize that that is building your character and making you stronger and smarter and better and more Satan-proof. Right, and it's not there to tear you down. 
It's not there to break you in pieces. It's not there to destroy you and traumatize you. But God, if we are following after Jesus and trying to do his will, he's saying, I'm allowing this so you can build the perseverance because that's what Jesus had to do. Okay? Perseverance brings character. We see that through Jesus. It said that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. So if he learned obedience by the things he suffered, then goodness gracious, we need to be able to do the same thing. What else does proven character bring us? Well, so remember we had perseverance that gave us our proven character, but the scripture says proven character brings hope. And hope is what this is all about. Yeah. And this hope lives up to the expectation because it's driven by God's love and God's spirit. So this is a big deal. Christian hope in its in its strongest, clearest sense is not just looking up. It's not just having a foundation of faith. It's not just having that faith permeate your heart, but it's living it. It's letting it pour out of you. That's what living in hope is. Go ahead. Well, you know, I, I wanted to bring to your you, attention. You've been waiting for statement. this. You've been waiting for this moment. I have. I love this. <laughs> I, I, you know, our mission statement, which is on our website, is the following for Christian questions. In accordance with God's grace and providence to make the gospel available through podcasting and social media, to plant seeds of hope for the burdened and those searching for answers in their lives by leading them to truth and an understanding of God and his plan for us. So built within all that you and Jonathan have been doing for the last 21 years is to plant seeds of hope for the burdened and those searching for God. And, and that's, that's really this entire ministry. It is. It is. That's why we do what we do. And from the very, very beginning, I can tell you the very first time we sat in the, in the radio studio talking to the manager of the radio station saying, hey, we want to try to do this, this talk radio thing and we want to call it Christian Questions. He said, why? <laughs> you know, and, and, you know and, and the answer was because we believe the scriptures have hope for everyone. That was the answer. That was the answer. And that was the whole beginning of this thing. And to this day, almost 21 years later, it's hope that drives us because the plan of God is so big and so profound and so powerful and so exact and so precise and so encompassing that the hope that we have in God affects everyone. Why wouldn't we want everyone to know? So if someone is feeling hopeless they can borrow the hope of Christian questions. Go back and listen to the archives at christianquestions.com. Go download the app. Go listen on your podcast, your favorite podcast channel. Dig into some of these because the scriptures are brought out plainly and simply and yet in a very deep way, and it's enough to find that hope and get your footing back. And that's the point. We want the Bible to come alive because what does it house? God's plan. And what is God's plan all about? hope. Our hope is strong when it narrows and focuses our objective. We have to try to live it. Finally, Philippians 3, uh, 10 to 14. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead, now that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, sorry, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting which lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the end of that, Julie, is so profound. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You know, the apostle is saying the, my past life, all of my past indiscretions, the things I did that, that I was, thought I was doing for God that were against God, they don't matter anymore. So, so what did he do? Because you had written down some some points on this when we were. Well, Paul Paul authorized murder. Yeah, he you know he he stood by while um, Stephen was stoned, one of God's martyrs. Um, he you know he really persecuted the Christians. He did everything he could to root it out because he thought he was doing correct under the law. He thought he was honoring God and he was dishonoring God. And so what he did is he took his past and he said it's no longer relevant, except to propel me forward to accomplishing the will of God. And the wrong that he did propelled him forward to do the right that he would do. And he became, the Apostle Paul, who was a murderer by his own admission, became the greatest purveyor of hope the world has ever seen except for Jesus Christ himself. That is a statement of living in a way that the hope just comes out from you. Wherever you come from, God's hope can override it and become more powerful if we let it. Finally, let's finish Psalm 121, the fourth step, step out based upon having seen God's power to protect. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Wow. <laughs> you know, to have that protection, the Lord's going to guard our going in and our coming, our, our going out and our coming in. Yeah, that's our footsteps. Everywhere we go, God will be with us. That's 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 pretty amazing. So, as a Christian, what can we hope for? We can hope for that that the, that the cartilage heals in your hip. That's an okay thing to hope for. We can hope for all of those little things in life, but always putting them in the context of let God's will be done. And I would like to hope this and this and this as long as it's in accordance with God's will. It very very much fits in with that last podcast that you were talking about uh, that Jonathan and I did together. So, folks, the, the point is we have to let this life-changing hope become part of us. What's our, la- our final life-changing hope thought? My life-changing hope can become contagious when I actively live to contribute to its value. Am I actively living to contribute to the value of the hope that I have received? Julie, any final thoughts before we close? I have one scripture that I cannot believe that you did not quote. Okay, go ahead. Ready? I'm ready. This is another one of those quick staccato scriptures that can be easily memorized for the when the storm comes. Psalm 71:14. As for me, I will always have hope. Okay, there you go. It's pretty simple. Folks, you know, when we think about this this subject and we think about hope and we think about the power of hope, think about what's in your hands. Think about the ability, the idea that I have in my hands, the Word of God and the will of God. And if I take those things seriously and build a foundation of faith after I've looked up and, and let it permeate so the eyes of my heart can see it and get that vision clear and then act on it, I can actually be a walking pillar of hope for the people around me. Why wouldn't we want to be like that? But the only way to get there is to delve into and make God's word 
your own. For Julian Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We've talked about what is probably one of the most important subjects you'll ever listen to, that of hope. Have it. God wants you to have it. Think about it. Folks, listen, we do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And coming up next week, do I have a sound Christian mind? Talk to you then.